0: Ladies and gentlemen, it's bowl season. All right, here we go.
1: the size of the
0: fight in the door. what's up degenerate nation welcome to the big bets on campus podcast this is the college football national championship betting preview i'm stuck in with me as always is colin wilson ready to talk uh some fading some
1: sec <laughs> I'm glad we made it. Uh, I'm, I'm glad the SEC started to represent. Uh, it was great to go down to Florida, go down to Tampa. And, man, I've never seen Penn State fans leave a stadium so fast. None of them wanted to shake hands or call the Hogs or do anything. But uh, it's been a great bowl season. I'm glad that we finally made it here to the end. And I, I can't wait to dive in on this big one. Woo, pig suey.
0: Yes, congrats to your Hogs. I'm just excited that we go from Kansas State, LSU, whatever <laughs> that was, whatever that was, to. Alabama, Georgia, who were the two best teams in the country, the two best, the teams that I had power rated one and two. I'm sure you did coming into the year. Look, I know it's uh, it's Alabama, Georgia again, but they're the two best teams with lots of storylines. Bama as an underdog, can Kirby get over the hump? Like there's and there, there's a lot of uh, a lot of storylines to get to. Before we get into some of the details, I'll go over some of the history from a betting standpoint when we get to the actual game, but let's start with the college football playoff semifinals wrap up just a a couple minutes. We'll spend on this on what you saw key takeaways, and uh, then we'll move on to our preview of the game. We'll talk when Alabama has the ball, when Georgia has the ball, then we'll get into our picks and talk some props. And then uh, we have the gambling Heisman, to award we have best voicemails of the year to go over and then we will get you out of here so let's talk those two college football plus semifinals games what were your key takeaways there
1: well i like i said on the podcast i thought alabama was the easiest one to handicap with cincinnati i called it for an under and that's exactly what we got brian robinson 26 carries as expected only one pass from bryce young exceeded 20 yards it was just a real methodical game by alabama and Cincinnati was held without a touchdown and they posted just two successful conversions and, and and 15 attempts from third and fourth down. So just dominance by the Alabama defense. But that comes at a price. And you and I will talk about injuries for this national title game, but it did come at a little bit of a price. And to be completely honest with you, Stuck, with, with this semifinal game, I think it has no applicable meaning whatsoever other than throwing chum in the water to try to get stuff on tape for Georgia to watch, which Alabama will probably not do again.
0: I agree. I mean, I, I had, I loved Cincinnati for my number. I I think that the game went as I expected. I expect, I said over and over again, I think I was going to come out and run, just run, run, run. One of the reasons why I had some Alabama team total under, I said, look, there's a, a, a way here that Alabama comes out and wins like 28 to three. And then, you know, we don't hit Cincy, but we have the Alabama team total under the thing that I was – and they came out, they had Neil playing tight end. They came out with six offensive linemen in that first drive, and they just said, look, we're going to use our size. And they were afraid to throw out Gardner. They were afraid to throw out Bryant. They had a great game plan. I mean, they have a million analysts. and One of the best, if not the best, coach in college football history. They said, look, we're not going to throw out Gardner. We're not going to throw uh, much at Bryant. I mean, they threw Gardner two times, and he gave up one catch for negative two yards to Jamison Williams. They said, we're going to run it. We're going to throw it, you know, over the middle, short passes. And then I was just really disappointed that since he didn't make an adjustment, like bring your safeties down, trust your corners on islands, mm-hmm. and then move them around. Like take Gardner and move him around. You have to do something. And then on offense, they just weren't good enough. Because you were the you were 2 on underdog. You had a nice drive early in the game, and then it's like third and goal from the nine. They go play action. It's like, no. That's you're not you can't run on Alabama. You don't need play action there against Will Anderson and company. They settle for a field goal. And then clearly Desmond Ritter just wasn't good enough. And Alabama's defense was up to the task. They weren't passing well enough on the early downs, which is what they needed to do. So uh, pretty dominant effort by
1: Alabama, pretty easy under and second half under. As far as this Georgia, Michigan. Now, I do think there are a couple of takeaways here, more than there was. Uh, I'd say in the orange bowl. So Georgia led 27 to three at halftime, which I still can't figure out how I pushed 45 when the score was 27 to three at halftime, but they limited the Wolverines offense, to just one possession within the 40 yard line. So whatever happened in the SEC championship game, uh, the Bulldogs were dominant on defense offensively. I mean, we're going to talk about this, what they got back at left tackle, uh, you know, from, from a health perspective, but they neutralized Heisman runner up Aiden Hutchison, uh, they did that by, A, averaging 5.4 yards per carry, but, B, they allowed one pressure in 69 snaps thanks to the return of left tackle uh, Jamari Salyer. So uh, just an absolute shutdown of the guy that finished second the Heisman voting, And the Bulldogs' defense piled up seven tackles for loss and three turnovers. Both coaches, Saban and, and Kirby Smart, have said this week, like, listen, we're not going to have a huge change of game plan from the SEC championship game. There'll be wrinkles, so interesting from that standpoint. But, yeah, Georgia dominated. Yeah, that game
0: went as I expected. Um, I thought it was going to be all Georgia, one-way traffic, horrible matchup for Michigan. That's how it played out. So I didn't – I bumped Georgia, obviously, because of their margin. But my key takeaway there is Bennett got his groove back, right? Like he needed that after the SEC championship game. He looked fantastic. And uh, Georgia was who they were all year. And they dominated another team. If you take away that Alabama game, since the the opener, they've beat every single opponent by at least 24 points, except for Kentucky, who only lost by 17 because they called a timeout with one second to go and then scored on the final play. Shout out to Big Blue Nation for covering against or pushing, depending on your number, against Iowa. That brings us to the... College football national title. But first, you know, let me talk about the line here. Alabama, three point underdog, over under sitting 52 and a half. And obviously, this has been a lopsided head to head historically. Georgia hasn't defeated Alabama since 2007 when Matt Stafford was there. And led Georgia to an overtime victory in Tuscaloosa. That was in Nick Saban's first year. Since then, Georgia's gone 0-7, 3-4 against the spread. Against Alabama, with three of those losses coming in the SEC championship, one of them the national championship, in overtime. Some have been close. Three were one-by-one possession, and some were not, including the last two that were both decided by the final score of 41-24. Alabama's not only dominated Georgia, it's dominated the SEC East. It's won 34 straight games against the SEC. So last time they lost, 2010 against South Carolina. Georgia will look to flip all of that history and win their first national title since 1980. Alabama, meanwhile, will look to add to their trophy case and come up with their sixth national title since 2009 under Saban. And I'm going to tell you what, if I had a barometer up your ass to say whether you were giving effort or not, it was about 50%. Why did you push yourself? Saban, by the way, six and two in national title games at Alabama. He also had one at LSU. He was a seven-point underdog in that game against Oklahoma and won outright. But Saban has never been an underdog in the college football playoff, which obviously means national championship, during his time at Alabama. He has been an underdog twice over the past 10 years. And what makes this so intriguing is that both were against Georgia and he won both by double digits. And here he is again for the third time, an underdog against Georgia. Since Sabin has arrived in Alabama in their eight national championships, as I mentioned, they've won six. They're six and two straight up. But they're only four and four against the spread. Last year was the first time Alabama covered in the college football playoff era in the national title when they blew out Ohio State. The one tired angle I don't want to hear anything else about is oh, Nick Saban over his assistance. Yes, he's now 20. Five and one straight up against his former assistants, 16 and 10 against the spread. However, that one loss did come earlier this year against Jimbo Fisher. And yes, he obviously should have a really good record against his assistants. He's usually his assistants are usually coaching much inferior teams. If you look back at those 26 games, 23 of them, Alabama was a favorite of at least a touchdown or more, 21 times a double-digit favorite, 18 a favorite of 14 or more. So that brings us to This game where Georgia is now a favorite and you're going to hear a lot of, I have to take Alabama. I have to take Nick Saban as an underdog. Fine. Uh, It's hard
1: to argue with that. There's only one narrative street here. Who's got the best coach and who's got the best quarterback, right? That's that's it. That's a narrative. Yeah. So you're going to hear a lot of that. I disagree with, and
0: we'll give our, our takes on the game, but let's first recap what happened in the first game in the SEC title where Georgia was a, you know, six, six and a half-ish point favorite. Alabama took a little money late. And then Alabama came out and dominated that game, ended up winning 41-24, to punched their ticket to the college football playoff and continued their dominance of Georgia. You know, everyone obviously knows that Bryce Young went crazy. Jamison Williams went crazy. Stetson Bennett threw a couple key picks. But what were your key takeaways from that game that you think are and and why it was maybe relevant or not relevant for this one.
1: Yeah, I think the, the score is not really indicative of how close that game actually was. I mean, Georgia was running their offense just fine in the first half. And Alabama offensively had their best day of the entire season on the offensive line. They moved Chris Owens out to right tackle. They moved Seth McLaughlin into center. Bryce Young still had 22 pressures, but he was never sacked. I think what's important, though, is that Alabama attacked the middle of the field in between the hashes, Young went 15 of 22. Uh, And then you're going to hear the same thing from Georgia. They attacked in between the hashes. Uh, Brock Bowers came into that game, tight end Brock Bowers, freshman from California, with 46 targets on the season. And then he gets 15 in the SEC championship game. And there was just no answer for Brock Bowers whatsoever. Uh, The second highest other targets were James Cook and George Pickens at five. So it was really, uh, you know, the Bowers show. And when I say Georgia attacked the middle of the field, that really was at Brian Branch. It was also at Daniel Wright. Uh, that's who Bowers went straight at. But eventually, eight different defenders, which we'll talk about this in the handicap later, eight different defenders in the Alabama uh, secondary took a shot at trying to guard Brock Bowers. It just wasn't happening. Stetson Bennett, just like Bryce Young, he went 22 of 34 down the middle. There were 15 pressures on Bennett, except they, you know, Alabama actually got to him three sacks, two balls thrown away. Kirby Smart came in the press conference afterwards and said they just were not ready for this pace of play. Alabama, 25.9 seconds per play throughout the entire season, 22.1 seconds per play in the SEC championship game. They're running at Western Kentucky speed. They're within a second of how fast Kent State runs. And Kirby Smart said they just weren't ready with that. Uh, They'll be ready for it this time. The big thing we need to mention, I'll leave it off here, John Mechie tearing his ACL with one minute left in the second quarter. Biggest handicap. That and the offensive line are the biggest handicaps in this game. Yeah,
0: I agree. I mean, when I went back and looked, I said, I, I went back and looked at the advanced box, but they did get a lot of pressure. There's still a decent amount of pressure. I think a 36% pressure rate, which is higher than what Alabama allowed all year, around 35%, which is not good. Alabama, by the way, allowed seven of the 11 FPS teams that faced in the regular season to have a higher pressure rate than they averaged for the entire season. So uh, the offensive line obviously struggled all year. Georgia just did, it didn't translate from pressure to sacks or pressure to havoc or pressure to negative plays. Alabama predictably couldn't run the ball. If you take away a couple of Bryce Young scrambles, they had a 27% rush success rate. You can't run on Georgia. I don't expect them to run here. Yep. Georgia also didn't have success running against Alabama. These are two elite run defenses it, it, you have to remember that it's just one game. That's what people are, are – you're going to get so enamored with just one game or you saw Alabama It's just one data point, right? Like if Texas A&M played Alabama again, would you bet Texas A&M because Texas A&M beat them? No. But, you know, Bryce Young had a spectacular game. Jamison Williams obviously went off. Metchie had like close to 100 yards and he got hurt. That's That'll be a big loss. Georgia's defense obviously didn't have a good day, but – they had some new pieces playing new positions and they were trying new things. So they were playing a lot more zone, different coverage looks in the first half when they got really far behind. And then Sets of Bennett is obviously not at his best when he's trying to throw from behind. Right. And like Alabama was able to build a big lead in the second half. That's when they're you know, their passwords can pin Will Anderson coming, can pin their ears back, come after him. They know they're gonna throw. That Georgia's George is so successful throwing some early downs. Yeah. The run play action, you know, so Georgia's secondary, all these zone looks, they weren't really blitzing as much. I expect that to change. I expect them to go back to their MO here, play a lot of man, play a lot of blitzes. That's what LSU and Auburn did press man blitzes almost beat Alabama really shut, shut that Bryce young down. Yep. So I, I think that that's what we see. I don't know if Kirby outsmarted himself and said, look, this is what Alabama is preparing for because they know us, So let's switch it up or, if he just said, "Let's tr- you know, let's try out some new looks," because we're already in the College Football Playoff and we're probably going to see this team again. But again, it's one game. I will tell you that this is you know, a rematch in a bowl game. It's, this time, it's a national championship, and that's only happened two prior times. Teams that have met in the regular season met again in, or you know, the conference championship met again in the national championship. Happened in twenty eleven. Alabama fans, you lost nine six at home game to up. LSU right. in overtime. Game of the century. And then you came back in the national championship and beat LSU 21-0. 1996, Florida beat Florida State 52-20 to in the national title. They lost 24-21 to the prior game. So talk about a, a flip. That's only a sample size of two, but it just reiterates, don't overreact to one result. And just take a look at 2017 Georgia. Yeah. They lost forty to seventeen to Auburn in the regular season. Then they won twenty-eight to seven in the SEC championship against Auburn. Bowls overall, teams that lost the first meeting that have met again, you know, lost the regular season meeting and met in a bowl or you know, college playoff anytime, fifteen and seven. The team that lost the first meeting is fifteen and seven in the second meeting, including nine straight wins. Twenty of the twenty-two teams have improved their margin. Teams that lost the first game have improved their margins. So, again, don't overreact.
1: (laughs) Interesting enough, in that 2011 LSU uh, rematch, uh, Saban uh, had Kirby Smart on the defensive staff, and they won that national championship game, blanked LSU and undefeated LSU 21-0. to You know, both of these head coaches, they've been in this spot before, uh, so it's going to be quite an interesting watch. All right, so that brings us to the game. Let's start
0: when Alabama has the ball. I'll continue my thoughts and then throw it to you. I don't think Alabama is going to be able to run the ball. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to really try to run the ball all that often. Mm-hmm. This is a really smart team, analytically sound. So I don't think you'll see them really try to run. Every once in a while, you got to keep you know the other team honest. But that will not be a big part of their game plan. So I expect them to come out throwing, and I expect them to come out using lots of pace. You know, that kind of – limits what Georgia can do flexibility-wise, tries to keep them on their toes. They're going to come out and let Bryce Young cook. Now, I think Georgia, and this is the key to the game for me, will be a completely different unit on on defense this time. I think you're going to see more man. You're going to see more blitz packages. You're going to see some of that pressure get home. You're going to probably see Chris Smith in the slot at the the star position. You're probably going to see help on Jamison Williams. And you don't have to worry about John Mechie this time, who you know had close to 100 catches and over 1,100 yards for the season. If Georgia's defense is up to the task, as they've been all year long since that Alabama game, that leads to the offense having more success because you're not playing from behind and they control the game. So this is a game where Georgia's defense looks like the defense that we saw in every other game, a historically dominant unit you know, the unit that we saw against Alabama in the SEC championship game. So I expect a really strong performance. Look, Alabama is a Heisman-winning quarterback, five-star talent all over, and they have a, you know, one of the best receivers in the country. They're going to make plays, and they're going to score some points. But I think Georgia's defense will look completely different schematically, execution-wise, and that is going to be the difference in this game. What do you see when Alabama has the ball?
1: Well, I'll start off with something you said. I mean, everyone is hot on Brian Robinson and Trey Sanders right now. Uh, We'll get to the prop market and our props here in a little bit. Uh, After what they did to Cincinnati, everybody thinks that that's the way, that's what's going to lead them here. No, they only had 19 zone read attempts in the SEC championship game against Georgia. They averaged three and a half yards per carry, no breakaway, no elusiveness. You don't run zone read against Georgia, which is why Alabama was smart enough to only attempt it. I think like 14 times by Robinson and five by Trey Sanders. So it's just not going to happen here. And then that brings up one of the biggest handicaps on this side of the ball is the health of this offensive line. I mean, they were a dumpster fire down the stretch, Auburn, Arkansas, LSU. uh, They swap players out. Uh, They get challenged before the championship game by the coaches and they produce their best day. Now we're looking at right guard, Emil Ekior possibly out, Right tackle Chris Owens gets helped off the field, favoring one of uh, one of his legs, a lower body injury. Absolutely no word on these two players, and where are they going to go? They're going to go back to Damian George Jr. at right tackle. This is a guy that allowed five pressures and two sacks on Bryce Young against Auburn. Do they play Amari Kite? I mean, he was mentioned in the in the presser. He's got sixty-four snaps of experience. We know at the right guard position, they're going to you know how they're going to fill that out, but the injuries on the offensive line. I think you're going to keep Alabama in an up-tempo offense, or at least Bryce Young will implement a quick passing scheme to avoid sacks. His best NFL QB rating is between 1.5 to 1.75 seconds of release time. So whether they're playing tempo or not, I just don't expect Bryce Young to have the ball that long. I don't think that we can skip over how big the John Mechie injury is. Leader in receptions, best blocker downfield. More importantly, if you watch that SEC championship game, Bryce Young pointed Mechie on one end zone attempt from 40 yards away, pointed Mechie in the middle of the play to run a different route and then threw him a touchdown pass. That's the kind of chemistry that Bryce Young had with John Mechie, and now he doesn't have that because all all Jameson Williams is is a burner. He's got a double move that is going to get him in the NFL, and he is just a spark plug and just takes off. But that's not the kind of chemistry that Bryce Young has with John Mechie. So the loss of Mechie hurts Jameson Williams. Because Alabama would put Mechie in motion, and then they would hide Williams in bunch formations. And when you use bunch formations, it forces your defense to expose their coverage so they know who they're going to guard when that bunch breaks out. So now simply Georgia can assign a safety and a corner to Jamison Williams and just go straight from there playing man. So I, I the loss of Mechie, just, I cannot state enough from Bryce Young's perspective, from a Georgia coverage perspective about how big this is. Now, who picks up the slack? Because it's important. We're betting props. Both Slay Bolden and Ja'Cory Brooks, they're going to get Mechie's targets. Bolden had 316 snaps from the slot. He had seven targets in the SEC Championship game. He attacks the middle. He moves the chains. Brooks is the new home run threat. Ja'Cory Brooks, five targets, four catches against Cincinnati. He was scattered all over the field, 12 snaps in the slot, 18 in the wideout. I feel like he's filling that Mechie role, and he boat raced Arquan Bush, one of the best corners in the nation, a 44-yard touchdown pass, which is going to give Bryce Young confidence, and hitting him. So I would say I'm a little nervous about Mechie's not there. The offensive line makes me a little nervous. And then Jamison Williams takes a pop, returning a kickoff against Cincinnati. He went to the tent for, uh, you know, a little, a little medical tent to get his shoulder checked out. He did re-enter the game, but I just wouldn't be surprised to see Jojo Earl taking kickoffs against Georgia. And, you know, we bet the tight ends heavy last year and last year's national title game. It's worth mentioning that Jaleel Billingsley had some disciplinary issues with Saban to start the season. He's worked his way back. He tied his career high of having six targets against Georgia. I think the last note we got to put on here, how do you get pressure on Bryce Young, who just seems like he's floating? He seems like a video game, and he just seems like he's untouchable. I think I know what the answer is. Once John Mechie went out with one minute left in the SEC championship game, Dan Lanning started sending the house. You go back and watch the tape of that SEC championship game, in the second half, Georgia sent pressure on almost every snap and he sent five and six defenders every single time. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in this game. Six defenders are coming at Bryce young. Now can those six defenders of Georgia get to Bryce young? I think so. It's a big part of my bet. Uh, but that's, this is exactly what's going to happen here. You that second half of Georgia, Dan Lanning, put it out there. We're coming after you with six guys, which they had only done on 2% of defensive snaps. The entire season, they almost always sent four. They're going to send six, and they're going to get them.
0: Yeah, the offensive line is a a massive point by you. I mean, I think on the back end, you're not going to see any zone. You might see Ringo, their fastest corner, who can match Williams, on like just on Williams all the time. They're obviously going to have safety help, too. But press man with more blitz packages, with Alabama having a potentially more vulnerable offensive line, and no Mechie to rely on underneath, I think equates to a, a dominant day by the Georgia defense. And by dominant, I mean relative to expectations against an elite Alabama offense. And when Georgia has the ball, I think the Georgia offense, look, I don't think they're going to be able to get much on the ground, but I do think that sets of Bennett will have a much cleaner game for me, it's all about the Georgia defense. I think the Georgia defense is going to dominate this game. Because of that, they're going to be playing for a positive game script, which is favorable to Stetson Bennett and what Georgia wants to do, throwing on play action, throwing on early down, still able to run it. Alabama can't just kind of go after the quarterback without regard for anything else on passing situations. We'll get to props. It's tough to figure out who's going to eat for Georgia. I'm sure Alabama is going to have a major focus on Brock Bowers, right? He set sec records for tight ends on catches and reception yards and in an sec championship game. Pickens has had huge, huge games in the past. He didn't really get targeted much. He was coming off COVID and he might have a big game, but there's a lot of different weapons, a lot of mouths to feed, but I expect Georgia offense to look a lot better, mainly from just, the game script Alabama's defense elite against the run they obviously can generate elite pressure Will Anderson is special but there are holes to attack in coverage and I think Georgia can do so because they're not going to be forced to throw from behind so that's everything to me comes down to what Georgia's defense will be able to do I think it leads to success on the offensive side of the ball because that's what we saw all year right like Stetson Bennett was elite when he didn't have to you know, that was the first time he was ever down like two scores and you have to throw every if Georgia was playing with a positive game script the entire year besides that Alabama game. What do you see when Georgia has the ball?
1: Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said. We talked about Bowers, how, you know, having only 46 targets coming into the SEC championship game, then having 15 and nobody from Alabama could stop him. Jordan battle, uh, one target, uh, one receipt by Bowers for six yards after catch. Brian Branch, he got picked on a lot. Five targets, three catches, 24 yards after catch. Kool-Aid McKinstry, who we're going to talk about here because I got an angle on him. Uh, even he was targeted by by Bowers. Uh, Bowers still got a receipt and went for 18 yards against old, old uh, freshman McKinstry there. Eight total defenders couldn't stop Bowers. So I think he's a big part of your handicap in this. I think he's a big part of your props, uh, however way you want to play it. But as for the offensive line, like we said, Jamari Saylor, he just – he's going to be able to cut in half a number of pressure Stetson Bennett had in the SEC championship game. And that's going to keep him out of third and long. That's going to keep the Georgia offense from having to depend on Bennett to save, save them in third and 12. And, you know, the Georgia running game was back on against Michigan, and, and we talked about Kenny McIntosh's toss sweep touchdown. Uh, but I just don't expect a lot of, you know, zone read out of this because Alabama's great at shutting it down too. They're going to do the same thing that they did before. They're going to do rushing attempts from Will Anderson, they're going to attack in between the hashes with Brock Bowers. They're going to mix in Darnell Washington, who had his name called in the semifinal for first touchdown of Georgia over Cincinnati. And they're going to take advantage of Kool-Aid McKinstry, the freshman. Now, now aid McKinstry should line up and take on Pickens, who's got about three inches and 20 pounds on him. So I do like Pickens in some head-to-head props. If he gets five targets, I think he gets two receipts. I think he can do a little bit of damage out there against McKinstry. We need. I love
0: Pickens. I love Pickens. I love big game Pickens, and he looked fine out there. So the only thing, the only concern is like snap count. But I think that it's national title here,
1: and he's going to have a big day. Injuries are also on this side of the ball for Alabama. Josh Job has a turf toe. Uh, Jalen Armour Davis is the highest graded coverage defender, Uh, but he's having a major like a a hip issue, which I heard had a setback. So we have those two injuries. It's a huge setback to the Alabama secondary. And that might put in Kyrie Jackson, who's expected to get playing time, just 50 coverage snaps on the season. There's just not going to be a lot of experience in the secondary if they have to, you know, get around the injury to Armour Davis and Job.
0: We're also not talking enough about the, how much the Alabama linebackers have struggled in coverage. Yes. Which, uh, I mean, you look at To'o, To'o, and Harris, there's, they're second and third on Alabama's defense in snaps. Um, they, get, they play the majority – of their linebacker snaps 188 linebackers this year had at least 250 snaps in coverage toe toe ranks 176th out of those 188 harris ranks 160th harris 135 quarterback rating alive allowed toe toe 162nd at 121 just poor numbers they're both bottom 50 and missed tackle rate too out of that group they got we'll dominated more by of that balance. they got dominated yeah. by balance. dominated so we'll get to more of that when we talk some props but let's now talk just the overall our overall thoughts on the game you know i'm all all about georgia here i think that they get their revenge i have you know i have georgia money line tied up in some pending parlays i took georgia plus 140 before last week to win the national title. I thought that line should have been my plus 105 plus 110. I like Georgia. I make this line four and a half. Georgia anything under three if you can get I like, but I, I prefer like a cheap money line or if you is, is really what I prefer and we'll talk market here. We'll talk market after we go through our picks but my case is zoom out. everyone stop focusing on the one game. we went over how revenge and you know the first meeting doesn't mean much when these teams meet again. Alabama was the inconsistent team all year. Georgia dominated everyone. Let's throw out Georgia's loss to Alabama and let's throw out Alabama's loss to Texas AM, right? Just one, they're just one game. As Alabama fans would say, it's just one game. Let's focus on their 13 wins. Well, Georgia's 13 wins, all but one, and it was the first game of the year, came by at least 17 points. All but two came by at least 24 points. Alabama, meanwhile, played five, five of their 13 wins came by one possession. They went four in one of those games. They easily could have lost a number of them. Georgia's average margin of victory in their wins was about eight points higher than Alabama's similar schedule strengths. Most importantly, let's take a look at their common opponents. Four common opponents, Florida, Tennessee, Arkansas, and Auburn. Besides Arkansas, you're talking about quality SEC programs. I'm kidding. So the very quality SEC programs, they both played all four of those teams. Florida, Tennessee, Arkansas, and Auburn. Okay, against those four teams, Alabama scored 149 points. What did Georgia score? 146. Okay? So right around the same, Alabama scored three more points. What did they allow? Alabama allowed 110. Georgia allowed 34. The net in those four games, Alabama plus 39, Georgia plus 112 just speaks to the season long dominance of Georgia. And then, you know, even if you don't want to go off margin or not, look at some of the season long metrics, the advanced metrics, Georgia really doesn't have any weaknesses and Alabama had plenty, their offensive line, extremely inconsistent, had some holes, their coverage rates their defensive pass success rate their defensive finishing drives these are things that were they actually struggled in so i think georgia is clearly the better team this reminds me of you know if you look back at some of the lines in the national title i mean this reminds me of the lsu clemson national title when people were like this is clemson right like this is clemson they've been." one of the most dominant teams in college football. But everything suggested the body of work for LSU was like LSU is going to cover this game. And I think that's what happens here. Georgia was the best team in the country all year long. I still have them as the best team in the country. I have them as four and a half point favorites. And there's a reason that any odds maker that I talk to is like every sharp account we have is coming in on Georgia. That doesn't mean Alabama can't win, but I'm siding with the Bulldogs here. I prefer the money line to every anything. I'm curious to get your thoughts, and then also when you share them, share your thoughts on the market because yeah. this is a a game where the public can matter, right? So it's a, a national championship, a Super Bowl, right? These are when the volume is extremely high, and everyone and their mother is betting this game, mm-hmm. so public opinion can matter, and I would assume that most casual bettors are going to back Nick Saban as an underdog here against the team that he just dominated and most casual betters are going to bet late, right? So I think that there's a better chance now, unless it's just overwhelming sharp money, but there's a better chance this game closes at two and a half or comes down to two and a half at one point, And then probably gets you know popped up by sharps than it is to go into three and a half. Cause you also might have some, uh, some sharp groups that would take the three and a half, right? Depending on what their number is. So I think that, if you like Georgia and you missed like an early money line or something, I would wait. I think you'll get an opportunity at some point. And it's not like this line's going to go to like four and a half, five, right? right it's not going to take off on you. So what are your thoughts in, on the market?
1: First off, let me say I'm in 100% agreeance with you on everything that you said. And I am with you on Georgia minus three. Now, personally, I've already thrown two dimes over the counter on Georgia minus 130. When it first opened up, there was a shop that opened up minus one and a half. There was another shop that had it minus one thirty. I said, there's no way it's staying at this number. Got to get it across now. And I was limited at just a, uh, a couple of dimes, So got it over. And now, you know, some of the friends that you and I are going to meet up with out in Vegas that are also sharp minds. I've talked to them this week and we've all got the same mindset. We're looking for that money line to dip below minus one forty. And when it does, we're going to fire on Georgia as hard as we can. And what's going to happen is you're going to see the mattress max of the world come in and, and put down those $1.2 million bets on Alabama money line. And the public's going to have their say if a three and a half pops, which I can tell you, there's a couple sharp books out in Vegas right now that are sitting on minus three minus minus one fifteen on Georgia. Somebody's going to pop three and a half. And when that happens, there's just going to be an avalanche of Alabama money. So don't worry about it going to four. And I wouldn't worry about it sticking on two and a half too long either. Cause that's going to generate a lot of Georgia money. I think this game, squarely ends at three, there will be flickers a half point one way or another. But what's interesting is that they're going to take on so much Alabama money line and they're going to take on so much Alabama money that you're probably going to get a great buy on the money line for Georgia. And usually, you know, when you have a a team that's minus three, you're sitting at, at what, minus 155 to minus 175. That's not the case here. I'm staring at a board full of minus 140s to minus 145. So when you equate it, like you're getting a great price on the money line on Georgia, I think that's the way you got to bet accordingly. Now, my plan when I get to Vegas, I'm going shopping. And if I see anything below minus 140, I'm firing. Now, if we get, you know, you and I are going to be together for the national championship game over at the Westgate, can't wait to see uh, Mr. Murray. But um, if if I have to buy minus 150 at some point, I will. If I get shut out of, of these minus 140s, minus 145s. But I think it's imperative that uh, you are getting a bonus for your dollar on the money line, and you're not with the spread. So officially, for the Action Network, when we go on BBOC and do our live show, Georgia's the pick, and we'll do Georgia minus three. But I will have at least three or four times as much money on the money line as I do on the point spread. Yeah,
0: I like Georgia here. I agree with you. Um, I think they're the side. I I have a lot of money line exposure, like the future... From last week, which is basically a money line now. That was, a great call adding. By you.
1: that was a great call and by you to, to go and grab that plus what was a plus one forty on the show.
0: I made the plus one oh five because well, number one, what I was in, incorrect about is I thought since he had a better chance of the market implied, right? So yeah. that was baked in. I thought that it was an awful matchup for Michigan against Georgia, and I just couldn't see Georgia losing that game. And then I knew that I made Georgia around a four point favorite against alabama and what ended up happening is alabama won in dominant fashion georgia got a bigger bump last week because they won the college semifinals by the same margin but yeah i mean look at the spread georgia was around a seven to eight point favorite alabama was a closer to two touchdown favorite yeah so now i'm at around four and a half and uh i'm glad that i have some of that plus 140 and 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 some more plus 130 let's talk total real quick i'm really conflicted on the total. Uh, It is worth mentioning since 1998 totals in the national championship, by the way, national championship really started in 1998 with the BCS era favorites, 11 and 12 against the spread. Really no, no edge there overs 14 and nine. And that's because they've hit six years in a row. I'm struggling with the total because I mean, mainly it's just going to be no bet for me. Um, I make it 52 and a half. Right. And I wanted to bet the over. I mean, Look, since 1998, by the way, average of 56 points scored in the national championship combined, 66.4 combined since the start of the college football playoff in the national title. You're getting all these athletes on a fast track, right, in uh, Lucas Oil. You're going to get some explosive plays. And I also expect both teams to throw a lot, right, and I expect Bama to go tempo that these are all things that would lead you to an over. But I also think the Georgia defense is going to dominate this game. I make the total 52 and a half. So if, even I, if I showed like a, like a couple points, like one point of value in the over, you know, 51 and 52 are key numbers. I definitely would have went over 50 and a half, but that's a pipe dream getting it under 51. The total's are no play for me. Maybe something live uh, if based on what I'm seeing. Uh, for what it's worth, 15 of the 23 national championships
1: have hit at least 55 points. What do you see with the total? Anything? I have pure conviction in everything except for one area in this game, and that's the total. And my projection is at 51, but I feel that backing Georgia is already baked in and me saying that this game is going to go under. I can think of you know many times where, where the Alabama offensive line doesn't work. The offense doesn't work. If Chris Owens says he's healthy, if Mila Ekior is healthy, yeah, I could see this being an up-tempo game like it was in the SEC championship game. But I think when you're backing Georgia, you're planning on the defense being better. And when I tell you that Dan Lightning's sending six guys for pressure, this could end up being a game where Alabama doesn't score very much. So keep your eyes on the offensive line. That offensive line gets healthy. I want to take the over. Now there's other reasons that I do want to take the over and really it's the referees. It's an ACC crew. You guys can read about it in the God. national championship preview that I post up the guy that is calling
0: the, that's official, the guy from the
1: Tennessee game. Yes. The guy that is calling this, the head official has, I believe he averages more than two personal foul penalties per game. He has the third highest pass interference rate per 100 snaps. The official that's calling this game is ninth in defensive penalties. His specialty is personal fouls and pass interference at an extremely high rate. And I believe he averages about 135 yards of penalties per game. So, what does that mean to the total? It means there's going to be a lot of free yards, a lot of hidden yards, a lot of available yards getting scooped up and putting them in, putting teams into scoring position. That doesn't mean that it's going to favor Georgia one way or that it's going to favor Alabama one way, but the secondary is going to get flagged. For pass interference. If anybody lowers their head, personal foul and targeting is coming. And so these kinds of things shift momentum, and then the over will hit. Now, something else that kind of bugs me about taking the over is that these two teams are sporadic in scoring. It comes in flurries. There was only three points scored in the first quarter of the SEC Championship game. Yeah, we had people calling the voicemail saying, "Yeah, oh, you, you can't believe you bet this over. <laughs> yeah, there was seven points in the third quarter of the SC Championship game. So what does that tell you? Then Nick Saban and Kirby Smart's plans work, and then adjustments have to be made in the second and fourth quarters because that's when the offense starts to thrive. I'm going to set the total out because I believe my Georgia bet indicates that I'm betting on the under. I'm going to look for this live. Key numbers for me 44 and 65. I know that's a really large range, but I just don't know if Alabama is going to be in tempo, and I don't have enough information on the offensive line to make a decision on if they're going to be Western Kentucky fast or if they're going to pull back and be sec Georgia slow. So that's, that's one thing. Pace is a big deal. And I I need, I need more information on the offensive line.
0: All right. um, Before we get to voicemails and our gambling Heisman trophy winner, let's talk a little props. I mentioned this, the struggles of the Alabama linebackers and how poor they've been in coverage. They've also they've had some issues elsewhere on the back end, tight ends against Alabama, and they played some teams that just don't use tight ends at all, like Tennessee, Mississippi State. I don't even think has a tight end on the roster. But if you if you remove Mississippi State, which doesn't have a tight end, they eight of the twelve tight ends that they faced surpassed their season averages in catches and reception yards. You're I mean, look at your boy Arkansas. Yeah, he had three catches for forty-seven yards and a touchdown. The rest of the year he. All other games, he averaged less than a catch and 10 yards per game. 10 for 139 and a touchdown against Alabama. All other games, he averaged about 3 and 55. There was a a number of guys that just had huge days and then didn't do anything the rest of the year. They didn't face, like, elite tight ends. So your natural thing would be, like, let's go Brock Bowers. I don't hate it because Alabama – but Alabama really will probably have a game plan and focus on him, right? They're not dumb. So – he might be a little inflated. I also think Jameson Williams, by the way, his numbers will be inflated, and Georgia's going to focus on him. All right. And there's no Mechie. So you might have, I think there's going to be some value on some of the other Alabama receivers if you want to go over. I think that there's going to be, you know, I think Browers will probably be a little inflated. I like a lot of the props for the Georgia running backs not running the ball, catching the ball. And, and this could play in the red zone. I also like Pickens. I just I think Pickens is going to have a big day. But I think the Alabama, the the Georgia, the Georgia running back reception yards uh, is something I'm going to be focusing on because I think that they're Alabama is going to be really focused on stopping Bowers, especially in the red zone. I think that the running backs can take advantage. Other than that, it's hard to know who's going to get the Georgia has a lot of weapons. Um, I Billingsley is attracting is attractive to me from alabama uh maybe for a touchdown or over his yards if i can get stetson bennett it'll be around 240 yards something under 250 i might like to go over there so those are some of my thoughts what are you looking at from a prop perspective
1: i split a unit up into four quarters uh for first touchdown and it's a lot of what you and I have talked about. I'm, I've got two. You can read uh, the National Championship piece out at Action Network to talk about coin flips, what these coaches like to do, who we expect to get the ball first, because that plays into first touchdown. And so I split it. I got two players for Alabama. I got two players for Georgia. For Georgia, it's pretty easy. We, that's all we've talked about is how they get torn up in between the hashes. So my first touchdowns, a quarter unit went to Brock Bowers at seven to one, and a quarter unit went to Darnell Washington at 50 to one out there, especially since he was the first person to score a touchdown against Cincinnati. And then he never got another look. And I think he never got another look because they're saving him for this game. Alabama's going to be pinned back waiting for Bowers. So Darnell Washington, 50 to one. I take that all the way up to 35 to one for first TD. My two Alabama players, Jameson Williams, I think you just have to take. It's kind of like when you're a craps player and you play the come line. And if somebody craps out, then you get paid back that money off of the come line. You have to play Jameson Williams because he's so explosive. And with that double move, even in man coverage defended by two guys, he can take one to the house from anywhere on the field. And his five to one can cover up your other quarter bets that you're going to put out there. So I think if you're going to split up your first TDs, you got to throw Jameson Williams in there. But the other one is Cameron Latou. Uh, I've seen him 20 to one. I've seen 25 to one out there. Uh, they targeted Cameron Latou. They, they completely shut him down after he made a mistake in the red zone, dropping passes against Arkansas. He never saw another look. Now, all of a sudden, he's getting attention again. He's getting looks. And if Alabama is going to attack the middle of the field again, that is all Cameron Latu. And we've already mentioned it. Trey Sanders and Brian Robinson, they're a non-factor in this game. No zone reads, no red zone attempts. Bryce Young throwing short camera 2 is the perfect one for that. Make sure you check out, I'm going to have a national title preview as well okay. out there
0: in Collins is out there. So make sure you check that out on action the action network gap, but yeah, they're throwing a couple more nuggets.
1: Bryce Young over rushing yards opened up at eight and a half today out on the East coast. What? I mean, if you're going to get pressure on this kid, what's he going to do? He's going to take off. And in pressured situations, he's had, 21 to 50 rushing yards just on scramble attempts. He's not a designed yards guy. He doesn't run on design. He runs on scrambles and eight and a half is super low. I would take that up into the twenties. And then of course, like I said, Brian Robinson. Yeah. Brian Robinson under rushing yards that came out today. We're recording on a Thursday that came out this morning at 85. I tried to pound it and it went down to 80 and a half. I would take this down to 54 and a half. Brian Robinson under rushing yards. Trey Sanders, same thing, except his number is less. Opened at 31 and a half today. I got a piece of that. Uh, I would take that all the way down to 24 and a half. And then as finally, as, as, a, as a, a prop that I love, uh, longest touchdown, over 52 and a half yards or better. Now, why do I say that? Well, yeah, there's Jameson Williams on the Alabama side of the ball. But I go back to George Pickens against Kool-Aid McKinstry. That is a corner, freshman corner, working against a much bigger wide receiver with you know safety help that is inexperienced. I think George Pickens is going to be a target for deep bombs and touchdowns for Stetson Bennett. I will take over 52 and a half yards as the longest touchdown in the game. Both sides of the ball can fill that, can, can meet that bet easily. All right, there you
0: have it. As in depth as a breakdown of the national title, as you will find. We'll have more prop stuff. Make sure you check out Action Network app. We'll be putting stuff in there as we play it throughout the weekend. And if you're in Vegas, let us know. It's Circa a day, somewhere else on Saturday. It's Circa Sunday, Westgate Monday. Hit me up, buy drinks. Before we get out of here, we have a couple other things to get to. We have to get to our end of season awards. It's time to celebrate. Welcome to the Action Network Award Show Spectacular we now introduce two guys you've called assholes, and sheds all season long. Your hosts for the show, Stucky and Colin Wilson. So first up, we have our Big Bets on Campus Bad Beat voicemails of the year. We want to thank all of our callers, especially our longtime listeners, such as John from Long Island, Martin, formerly of Chicago, Juice from Rochester, Tyler from Corpus Christi, Adam from LA, Nash from Colorado, and of course, Mr. Minor, mother-effing nation himself, Jason from El Paso. This season, we're going to do a little bit differently. We're going to play our favorite four minutes of voicemails from the season, and if you hear your voice included in this, please email podcasts, it's with an S, podcasts at actionnetwork.com to claim your prizes. There are so many great memories in here. Some good, some bad. And thanks again to everyone who called 959 Bad Beat this season. Please enjoy. Gentlemen, you know what? It's Martin from Florida, formerly Chicago. Listen, and I make a terrible mistake of putting $3,000 on Mike fucking Loxley. I want to know, does he roofie the parent? Does he have affairs with the mothers? What does this fat fuck do? to recruit. Why would anyone play for this guy? He's a fat loser. Maryland's a disgrace. Scott Van Pelt's bald. I hate Maryland. I hate Maryland. It's bad juju. Mike Locksby's fat and stupid. It sucks.
1: Also, Beckman McMurphy. Goodbye.
0: Woo! Thanks, Suey! God, I'm so glad I listened to Collin and Stuck this week. I got my three TVs set up in my living room like 11.45, and I look at my Action app and realize I only have one game going in the noon slate. That never happens to me, and is f***ing over as soon as they kicked off. I just got a f***ing haircut
1: on a Saturday afternoon in October because the only f***ing noon game that I bet on was that abortion of a game between Arkansas and Georgia. Oh, my f***ing God. Uh, They had the game on at the barbershop,
0: and I said, point me at Fear Factor. I'd rather watch Joe Rogan in cargo pants give away f***ing TiVos than watch that piece of sh** game. F***. Guess who's back? Yeah, this is minor mother Effin' nation. Colin, he's trying to be a sharp. He took our over three wins. Guess what? Four games in, (laughs) that's a push at worst minor mother effing nation just covered again so all the haters out there calling in saying hey where's the minor nation guy can eat a bag of shit. so if you want to win money you just bet on minor mother F nation
1: <laughs> oh my goodness
0: uh Colin Stutt, it's john from long island and here i am I had to leave the house. I couldn't f-ing sit on my couch anymore watching f-ing Texas get the game away. You're 28 to 7 in the first quarter.
1: Uh, this is Colin's grandma, and I'm going to let it all out. And this is it. This is the word. This is the word you need to spread across the United States. I saw that game this morning between Ole Miss and Alabama. And I don't know what crazies bet against Alabama. There's a cardinal rule
0: that we have in Arkansas. You don't bet against Alabama. Now, you got
1: to get that through your corn-fed head. You know what I mean? Alabama goes, and the rest of them sink. <laughs> You know, you got the message? Stick it on your forehead. Bye.
0: God damn, every time I take a pick, the f***ing college is wrong. Arkansas a- at the head. San Diego State, under. Boise. All that you put out there, every time I take a pick from you, it's wrong. All you had today is f***ing losing. Ryan Kelly, you red-faced Irish. F-ing you fucking Sucker, you had no business a winning that game. B covering, f- you leprechaun mother.
1: I'm talking silent because I'm in a. F- I'm in the house with f- in-laws and. F- you you. F- mother, f- you lost
0: from start to finish. F- you f- mother, I would f- you if I could. You F***, f- you f- you f- the Irish. Every poor leaf clover I ever see for the rest of my fucking time being you, mother. Peace out. Fuck you. All right, we're ending, we're ending on a very nice note there. Um, the, the two comments that I have one serious one, not so much. I agree with Martin. Fuck Maryland, but at least they got a cover in the ball for me after I lost every bet on them all year long. So it ended on a positive note. Thank you for not shitting the bed. Mike Loxley, the uh, Alabama comments are, are fitting. Collins' grandma, I didn't get it through my corn-fed head. I haven't put it on taped anything on my forehead because I'm fading Alabama. <laughs> this time, it was an underdog. and But I will say that Arkansas, I was on Arkansas with you, that Arkansas-Georgia game was miserable. Mm. And that speaks to how dominant Georgia was. Recall Arkansas going down to Tuscaloosa, Give an Alabama game losing 42 to 35 when they played Georgia, that game was over three minutes into the game.
1: I'm not really looking forward to hearing from Grammy on the West coast Tuesday morning. If Alabama wins, oh, this it'll be like one of those four thirty AM phone calls. And she'll be like, I thought I told you, I thought I told you Nick Saban, this Nick save. Oh boy. Now, now that we've listened to the voicemails of the year, That's going to be just the worst feeling ever is that 4.30 a.m. Vegas call. Uh, So looking forward to it, Grammy. (laughs) All
0: right. And finally,
1: we can't end the show before we present the most
0: prestigious award in all of college sports. I'm talking, of course, about the fourth annual presentation of the Gambling Heisman Trophy presented annually by the Action Network Gambling Heisman Trust. And now, the presentation of the Gambling Heisman Trophy, awarded to the most outstanding Division I player whose athletic excellence best enabled the pursuit of monetary gain through the art and science of wagering on college football. We begin by honoring our past recipients 2018 Trevor Lawrence, Clemson, 2019 Lynn Bowden Jr., Kentucky, 2020 drew Plitt, ball state and for the 2021 season there were many qualified finalists but we can only award this to one player we thought about you know someone on michigan i think they were the best against the spread team oklahoma state which got another cover great cover for us and against notre dame came all the way back tay martin i was like maybe i Tay Martin can come into the discussion, but there was really only one player that we could go with this season. And so, without further ado, it is our pleasure to award the fourth annual Gambling Heisman Trophy to Drummell Puddies, Bailey Zappi. Zappi Hour. Western Kentucky. The Western Kentucky Hilltoppers, the pride of the Commonwealth.
1: Oh, no, hell no, boy. Man, yachting up and done it. Oh, no, oh, hell no, boy. Up and done
0: the zappy hour. Look, he couldn't get our futures home, but it was of no fault of his own. He had an enormous game through for 600 yards. Helton kicking field goals. The snapper couldn't snap it. They couldn't field a punt. Zappy was dominant all year. Closed it out with a dominant ball performance. Set NCAA records and was a covering machine. I don't think there's anywhere else we could have went. Then Zappi, it would have been Heisman for life if they got home for the futures. But uh, any thoughts?
1: Yeah, first for Bailey Zappi, just a a clap. He can't be here to accept this award, but uh, I'm sure his jaw would drop to know that oddsmakers had probably the biggest fuck up of the entire year when they opened up Western Kentucky and UT Martin with a total of 40. (laughs) When that total opened in the first game of the season at 40. I said, what, is this a team total? This is Bailey Zappi from Houston Baptist. Are you kidding me? So uh, I just want to say, you know, thank you to Bailey Zappi for all the entertainment, for all the wins. You know, we'll be looking for the next big thing to come out of uh, FCS and get into FBS and these group of fives where, and keep that in mind in the off season, everybody, the group of five teams can absolutely turn on a dime. We got Joe Moorhead going to Akron. You got players from the FCS coming up into group of five teams. Those teams can turn on a dime. So I look forward to doing it again in 2022, but congratulations to Bailey Zappi. Yeah, I can't
0: wait. Hopefully we can do it in more normal times. We don't have to worry about who's in and who's out for viruses uh, all week. All right, that'll do it for us. It's been a hell of a season. You will still find us one final time talking college football, and that's for our live show, Big Bets on Campus Live. That'll be on Twitter I don't know, around 6 Eastern, we'll be doing live from Vegas. We'll tweet out the link. We'll talk, you know, some final props if the market has moved and our thoughts on the game. So make sure you check that out with ourselves and Brett McMurphy. If you want to start listening to college basketball and getting more into college basketball, we will pivot to more college basketball episodes. There's already been some with three-man weave. who do a great job. We will have episodes on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Um, I will be on two of those episodes, Mondays and Fridays. Mondays, it'll be myself, BJ Cunningham, and Mike Calabrizzi. Fridays, it'll be myself, Mike Randall, and BJ Cunningham. Three Men Weaver will continue their episodes on Wednesdays. They don't need me to get involved and ruin their chemistry. They do a good job on their own. Um, and don't worry, Colin will still be popping by to talk Razorback Basketball. So you can get your fill of whoo, big suey. And then we're going to have lots of college content on this because uh, it's, thanks to you guys, it's a standalone show, a standalone podcast. So Colin, I'm sure we'll be getting ready to talk you into betting Arkansas to win the college world series. Absolutely. Um, hey stuck. This is the producer, Matt Mitchell
1: jumping in very quickly to thank each and every one of you for listening to this, the fourth season of Stucky and Colin Wilson talking college football here with the Action Network. All the podcasts here at Action are like my children, and like my literal children, I, of course, have a favorite, and it's this one. And that's because of the absolute fucking maniacs who listen to it, all of whom I love dearly. So, thanks again for listening. I wish you all the very best of luck in the championship game. Fuck Cliff Kingsbury, and stick around for great college basketball episodes all the way through March Madness.
0: So... Thanks again for all of your support. It's been fun. Let's close it out even stronger with a huge national championship. Appreciate all of you listening. If you can, subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe. Tell a friend, tell an enemy. Leave a review. Really help us out. Five-star reviews. We appreciate anyone who did that all year long. Good luck and whoever you back. and Let's close out the year strong. We'll catch you all later. Cheers. Peace out.